family and welcome to another episode of normal with autism we are walking with faith on this side of the spectrum and we invite you to the kitchen table to experience the joy in the journey i'm tara i'm sarah yay we have a special guest that we're going to introduce in just a few minutes Mm -hmm. first i want to check in with you how are you today uh it's been a day to be honest How's, can we can we ask about Matt? My husband and his abs went to a Taekwondo tournament yesterday. It was his first one. It was a tournament. Uh-huh. Did he sweep the leg? I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't think he's learned <laughs> that yet. Um, he placed first in his age mm-hmm. for his categories. Mm-hmm. And like all of his categories, he got first place. But what oh he also gosh. got was a foot fracture question mark i don't know he can't walk on his foot he can't bear weight on it and uh so i've had to take care of him all day and tired taking care of owen and doing everything else and yeah it's been a day yeah (laughs) but you're here now i'm here i'm here and i was wondering like i've been super anxious like all day and i was like what is going on with you this isn't the first time Hmm. someone's been injured in your family but this is also like in 2017 and 2019, Owen was admitted to the hospital for the exact same dates. Yeah. And yeah. That's like I remember that. This week. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, what? But like, it just dawned on me. I'm like, what is gone into me? Mm-hmm. And I like, I'm having like trauma flashbacks, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, whatever. I'm just in a funk. That's okay. That's okay. This, I think this time of year is hard for everyone. Um, I think it's just kind of that, I mean, at least here in Ohio, it's kind of that time between like, it was been really, really, really cold and now it's starting to warm up, but it's gray and rainy and Mm -hmm. things are just like, you still can't be really outside, but you want to be. And yeah. And it's 60 degrees out side today which was just a reminder to me that i'm still gonna be fat for spring (laughs) i'm running out of time you haven't gotten your spring body together i'm not okay (laughs) you know what else bothers me tell me um so you know like glade like air fresheners yeah like spring rain yeah spring smells like worms it does what are you talking about and it's very moist (laughs) sorry (laughs) it is though right okay when i make my air freshener company i'm gonna tell the truth the spring smells this can like smells like moist worms okay. have at it okay great <laughs> all right well we are gonna jump right into it because we have a very very special do you want to talk guest. about how you are you're good oh i'm She's good. good i'm good, good because we're podcasting and this is my happy place and this is what i like to do i actually really quick before we jump into it i spent some time with molly our friend molly oh, on saturday did? yeah she did a really neat inward experience like looking inward and we had just a few people um on like a zoom thing and she asked some really great questions and so i would definitely check it out if you're interested molly grisham light bulb moments with molly i love molly and she's it's so interesting how you and i are so different because that literally sounds like when i get to hell um (laughs) the devil's gonna be like hey here's a math book sit there right next to dora the explorer and think about yourself 
and it's going to be terrible. You're on fire today. Our special guest might actually be able to address that topic. Oh, we ain't got the time. Whether you might be going to hell. Okay. Well, let's jump into it. I've accepted it. it. It's fine. All friends there. Okay. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. I want to introduce someone very awesome and special. Name is uh, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa, and they are a trans queer activist, Latinx scholar, public theologian, adult on the autism spectrum, founder of Activist Theology. If you aren't following it, go do that now. And we are very excited to introduce Dr. Robin. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. And just to return to the previous uh, conversation, uh, hell is not canonical, right? It was a made-up belief system. So just just so you know. And you got like a um, a thumbs up from from Craig on that one, which I have never gotten. So, and can you that well word, done? That, say that word again. Canonical. Canonical. Okay. Craig knows it. So, Tate takes so, notes yeah. to look up later. So it comes from the word canon, right? So oh, okay. for example, like the Bible has been canonized yes, as like yes. the, the authoritative word of Christianity. Yes. And but it was um, canonized by people who are not perfect. Well, in, per- in particular by white men who are really not perfect, yes. who, who did this work to consolidate power and accelerate a belief system that now shows up in things like the prison industrial complex. But mm-hmm. maybe that's for a different podcast. Mm, no, no, mm, I'm like, mm, mm, I'm going to church. Bring it. We're here. We're ready to I'm I am ready to listen. I have been learning so much about um, the Bible and church and how. um uh, gross people are when they come to using it for their own agenda mm-hmm. by TikTok. I've learned so much from t- oh oh. TikTok. I follow some really great TikTokers that okay. are like, "This is what it actually says." Did you know the word homosexual didn't come in the Bible until 1940? And I'm like, right. "What? Yeah, I didn't know any of this." Yeah. I'm ashamed to admit. Well, you know, a lot. I think you know that's a lot of people's experience, right? Because there is this whole um, thread of anti-intellectualism mm. within the Christian tradition that get, that really gets accelerated in, in the evangelical tradition, which is the tradition that I come from. And, you know, but I've spent a lot of time thinking about these things um, in academia. And so I have, you know, opinions about all sorts of things that, that actually don't get talked about in the church because of this anti-intellectual threat. But mm-hmm. I want to hear about every single one of them alphabetically. <laughs> Let's start. <laughs> so can I just can I just first say that I love how y'all start by saying um, making a mention of we're here by faith or we move by faith mm-hmm. or that. I just really love that, and I I feel oh. like, gosh, if we could recover that little element which feels it feels like it it encapsulates or or is um framed by curiosity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i feel like we would have a different world yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely and i feel like that word has evolved for us because when we first started the podcast we started as more of a um faith-based christian 
we were heavily church focused. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we were heavy in our church. Yeah, just about three years ago. I would say that um, you know it started like we're walking with our faith in God on this side of the Uh spectrum, but now I'm Uh walking with my faith in myself and my son Uh that has autism. Like Uh I'm (laughs) walking with my faith of him and what he's capable of. Uh That's who my guide is. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I knew there. I knew there was a reason I wanted to have you on, so that you could tell us how awesome we are. <laughs> um, you are definitely the professor that I wish I had in college or grad school. Um, and I love your office hours that you have on Tuesdays um, on Instagram. Do you want to talk about that for just a second? Well, I'm a big believer of thinking out loud. That's got me into a lot of trouble in my life um, because I just, I have an opinion about everything. And um, I was talking to my friend here in Nashville who is a social media consultant. And, um, you know, I just was looking for ways to, you know, it, like have more conversation with people on online. And um, so she was like, well, some people have office hours. And I was like, well, I'm a professor. I could have office hours. And so uh, I just started doing that as a way to like participate in the intersection of conversation and contemplation And um, those two things matter to me a great deal because I think we often spend more time in conversation without actually thinking about what we're saying. Mm. And I want us to like consider what are we saying and what is the impact of what we're saying and where, like, where do those inherited thoughts come from? You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Spend more time like taking a deep breath and really listening maybe to what the other person is saying or other people are saying and spend some time thinking before we all open our mouths to respond and reply. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is what I'm going to do right now. I'm not going to think I'm just going to talk because that's what I do. Um, Someone told me once and it was like the best, like mind blowing piece of information I've ever been given. Someone once told me that your first thought is what you've been conditioned and ingrained to think Mm -hmm. and your second thought is what you actually think Hmm. so ever since i heard that i try to take a moment and wait for my second thought and then think to myself and which of these things are true that's cool Hmm. okay it still gets me in trouble but but so hey you're allowed to have you're allowed to say what you want to say now so for your office hours are are people they just come on there and then like they talk with you like they can leave questions in the comments is that what happens yeah people ask questions during the office hours some people send me um dms about hey let's talk about this Mm -hmm. and and what i have been doing is just building the syllabus uh, all week. And then like on Monday, I put in my story, like here's the syllabus for office hours um, that that will happen on Tuesday the next day. Um, and then I just sort of, sort of go through and talk about all the sorts of things that people have asked about. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it is useful for people, but I, I find that, um, you know, Instagram feels 
sometimes um, so static that it's just like an image and no conversation. And, you know, I use my social media platforms as my public classroom to actually have conversation. And so I'm just seeing if things like office hours could support that kind of activity. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it does. I love that. I, so I, I watched a couple of them, um, and I appreciate it because of what you just said in terms of having like a, a, an actual conversation, like even though Facebook, social media, Instagram obviously weren't built for that. It's more about, you know, the status and just kind of yelling at each other. I, I like the idea of let's take this and, and use it and, and kind of turn it on its head and ha- try to actually have a conversation with each other. Cause that's yeah. certainly not happening a lot in the real world right now, like out in, out in real life. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I mean, one of the things that, that really disturbs me about our cultural body is how polarized we are mm-hmm. and, and how extreme our politics have gotten. Um, and I, I feel very curious about us as a human species, you know, do, do we even know how to be human with one another? Mm-hmm. I, I, I worry about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that question. Um, tell us a little bit about, and, and maybe this kind of with everything that you've just said, it might be like, well, this is how I think, or this is what I mean by that. Am I getting this right? A theologian ethicist? Yeah. So I'm, I'm trained as a theologian and ethicist. Mm-hmm. So there, I, I was sort of trained that there is no separation between theology and ethics. All theology is ethics. And it makes a lot of sense to me that our understanding of, for example, who God is shows up in how we treat people. Right. Um, and so for a lot of people, they believe that God is this white man sitting outside time and space Um and if they are white-bodied themselves, then they are probably not going to treat people who are not white-bodied differently. Mm-hmm. So we get things like racism, right? And and white Christian theology accelerates, I think, systemic racism and anti-blackness. Um, so I I sort of do my work in in the realm of theology and ethics. I teach theology at Duke Divinity School. Um, but most of my work is in the public square doing public scholarship and trying to connect the dots for people and using my training as a theologian and ethicist to help us think more critically and creatively creatively about the stories that we've inherited and and the thoughts that uh, really bind us to things like extremist politics, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm hearing from you, uh, again, the the thread that, and this is why I think I gravitated towards you online, is the thread of curiosity and the thread of contemplation and this idea that, you know, sitting down and taking some time to think isn't a bad thing. It can actually probably help us dig out a little bit of the very large holes that we seem to find ourselves in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do some of that work through your activist theology podcast? Yeah. So, um, 
Well, let me back up and just say after the 2016 election, I decided to move home to the South um, after a loved one said to me that I was disconnected from my roots. Mm. I was born and raised in Texas and left Texas in my mid-20s for graduate school and then the PhD in Colorado. And so I had I had let I had been gone from the South for for quite some time. And um, you know. I, you know, I'm transgender and Latinx and, you know, I didn't know what it would mean for me to live in the South as an openly trans and queer person. Mm-hmm. But, but I knew that I needed to um, reconnect with my roots and, you know, find a way to be in community with people. And so um, I packed up my Prius because, you know, every good progressive liberal drives a Prius or some sort of hybrid car. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And um, drove cross country and landed in Nashville and ended up launching my academic scholarship as a collaborative project, which is called the Activist Theology Project. And, And about a year and a half into that work, I said to my kinfolk, um, one of my best friends, Anna Galladay, who's a United Methodist minister, um, lives in Chattanooga. And um, um, we were on a writing retreat, working on some stuff in, in December. And I said, in December of 2019, and I said, I think we should have a podcast. And I think that we should think out loud. That sounds and familiar. I th- <laughs> and, and, um, and do y'all do the Enneagram? Yes. Oh, oh yes, that's what our friend Molly I'm introduced us to. Is that okay. <laughs> okay, so so my friend Anna is a seven on the Enneagram, right? So like she farts uh, rainbows, right? She's a <laughs> she's this unicorn. And and so I'm a five on the Enneagram. Um so Anna was like, Yes, let's do it. And so we didn't know what the hell we were doing when we launched in January, you know. Um we knew that we wanted to try to do storytelling with analysis so that we could help people think and connect the dots, but we didn't know what we were doing. I say all that to say, yes, we do this on our podcast and we're still learning how to do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, of course, of course we're still learning. And it sounds like a very similar yeah. story and experience to how we got started. Cause I said, Hey, let's do a podcast. And Sarah's like, okay, when? And I said, I don't know. And then she posted it on Facebook and then I felt like we had to do it. So. Yeah. She comes right. up with the ideas and I make her do them. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. She pushes yes. me just a little bit. You're the enforcer. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of the things um, that you kind of try to tackle on your podcast? Well, um, we talk about pressing social concerns and um, like last week we talked about the shit show in Texas and, um, you know, the just, you know, everything that went wrong in Texas. Uh, This week we're having um, a legislator from Texas on. Is it Ted Cruz? I have some some comments. (laughs) It is not Ted Cruz. Because I don't think I, I don't think he likes my kind in a variety of ways. Um, no, we're having this um, um, this white guy on. His name is James, 
and um so we we try to like stay with what's present Mm -hmm. uh which actually is very hard y'all it's just real hard well it's changing so quickly you know what the big topic is on tuesday isn't the same as thursday exactly right yeah right we're descending into such a moral decay so rapidly (laughs) it's like a death spiral well and like here's the here's the tea if we're gonna spill the tea oh please do yes like I'm still trying to figure out why in 2021 is it just business as usual when we're still living in a global pandemic? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ohio is very much business as usual. Well, but we still wear masks and yeah. all of that. Like, does Texas even have masks anymore? Because I know some states do not. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they have a. Um, a mask mandate. I know that here in Tennessee, it was suggested, but it was county by county, whether or not there was a mask mandate. So the county that I live in, there is a mask mandate, but you know, you see people all the fucking time. Oh, do y'all use that word on your (laughs) podcast? That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But you see people all the time without masks and, you know, and I'm like, do you like people don't believe this is real? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's I, that's where my mind is like, can we help people understand that what's happening is real? Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody's like, this is usual. Isn't that do you feel like that's part of that anti intellectual thread that we're we're seeing or is it capitalism? Yeah. So I think it's a lot of things. I think it's capitalism and sort of the the um, acceleration of we need to be productive to have meaning in our life or to have worth and value. Mm-hmm. I do think it's anti-intellectualism, which is is part of sort of the anti-science movement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, like, I just want to be super real with people. Um, you know, I got to December of 2020 and, and you know, I, I have a partner um, and we live together and we had we we had been very socially responsible um, since March 13th and we had been quarantined and, you know, it was getting cold. And I said to my partner, Aaron, and I've, I've said this on social media, so I'm not like saying anything new. You know, I said to my partner, like, I have so much anxiety about contracting this virus mm-hmm. and dying from it. And so, you know, it's getting cold. Um I think that we should reevaluate how we get out in the world. Now, we had really reduced our um, our time outside the house. Mm -hmm. We like in the spring and summer, we only went to the farm to pick up our CSA, which is about 45 minutes from where we live. Mm -hmm. And like that was our weekly outing. We went to the farm. It was outside. We wore masks, whatnot. But as things got colder and as we saw the uptick in cases in November, we really evaluated what what did it mean for us to be socially responsible. Now, I, I you know, I, I I live with autism, and so things like stress or or um, s- like sensory overload is like it just um, paralyzes me, right? And so I was finding myself in this place of like such existential threat that, you know, 
I don't leave my house, not even to go outside for weeks sometimes mm. because of this anxiety that I had. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we got to 2021 and, you know, everybody was so excited about the vaccine that was going to roll out and the sort of promises that, that the administration would roll it out to everyone. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we realized that actually it's not available for people in Tennessee or, or other Southern states. And this sort of, it, you know, I just felt like the world was closing in on me because um, there was this expectation that it was like just business as usual. Right. But I actually was living with a great amount of fear and anxiety and, and like the world around me had no capacity to hold that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just, I, I say, I share that story because I don't think I'm the only one no. who, who, who feels that way or who thinks that way. And I think a lot of people, especially women have been taught not to voice their concerns. Right. We, we often maybe um, call um um, women's knowledge, like a mother's intuition, whatnot. And I don't mean to be essentialistic, but we need to pay attention to voices that have historically been silenced. So people with disabilities, other marginalized people, people of color, et cetera, because there is wisdom in that collective refrain that actually says something is not right in the world. And so, you know, now we're, so it's February 28th, it's about to be March tomorrow, and everything around us is saying, get back, you know, the show must go on, get back to what you're doing. And, and, and the reality is, is that we as a cultural body have not even been able to metabolize the 500,000 plus deaths that have occurred some of whom we are personally connected. And like, how do we practice being human with one another in the face of that? That's what I feel curious about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Yes. Yes to all of that. And yes to the whole idea that we haven't, I like what you the way you put it metabolized. We we haven't even we didn't even metabolize how people at the beginning of this whole pandemic talked about, well just let, you know, it's okay if the elderly and the disabled die. It's right. it's fine. You know, we can lose a percent of people and then still go to work. And I'm I'm still stuck on that because that meant my dad and my son and I, I even confronted a friend about it who had posted something online and there, there, there was such a disconnect between, no, when you posted this, this is what you meant, right? And, and then when I'm bringing home to you to say, well, these actually represent two people in my life who you know, right? And then it, it was like it wasn't even, we couldn't even have a conversation about it because there was just so much denial cognitive dissonance just checked out just checked out of the fact that that this was even happening 
And I don't know if it was a safety thing. I don't know if like, if it's a safety thing on, on somebody's part or I don't understand where that comes from. So it's, it's hard. I think it's, that makes it even harder to want to like, to try to treat each other in a humane way. Right. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah. That's a really good well, question. And well, I, I mean, I, I think some of it is like a trauma response mm-hmm. and, and, and like our inability as a cultural body to actually process the data and information that, that is lodged in our bodies. And so it's, it's not just an individual thing, right? It's a whole sort of cultural thing um, that is steeped in like the politics of disposability. That's how we get the narrative of like in Texas, let the grandparents die from this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, what, like, I, I mean, the question I ask is what is our anthropology, right? What do we think about human beings? And, and if we think that they are just, we are just disposable as we have treated people of color and, and black per- people particularly, mm-hmm. um, what does that say about the rest of us, right? And so, I, you know, I just, I just sort of come into this year with, um, you know, wanting to pump the brakes and, and, and like remind people like, look, folks, uh, we're still living in a pandemic. And I mean, even my students at Duke, um, the, the first day of class, I said to them, uh, we are not living in normal circumstances. This is this is not, the, these conditions don't create like really great uh, learning environments. Mm-hmm. They all said to me, I was the first professor to even mention that we were still living in a pandemic. And wow. I just, I you know, I'm, I'm like... But who who do we think we are, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Or to think that you're the first professor to say that and to who do we think we are, we're kind of maybe on that invincible side. Like, okay, because mm-hmm. I'm not disabled or because I'm not a person of color or because right. I'm not older, I'm right. going to be okay. Right. But then it it also it serves to invalidate, as you had mentioned, you know, the 500,000 people and some of us are know someone. Right. Who's died. Mm -hmm. I I have a family member who has passed on from covid and it kind of invalidates that experience also Mm -hmm. like to to say, like, Mm -hmm. you know, because they didn't necessarily say that that person was disposable. But just having that experience, it's almost like I feel like we can't even stop and acknowledge it a little bit because while it was just COVID or it's just the pandemic or it's just people being sick, like, just move on. Like, you're just you're just how many people die from the flu every year. Right. 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 Exactly. And it's not just 500,000 people are dead. Like, that's horrifying. Like, that's awful. But people don't die and have lifelong, you know, medical conditions because of COVID. People are going right. bankrupt because, because of, of medical care. Yep. People are losing right. their jobs. Yep. Right. The fallout from this is just, is just starting basically. Yeah. Well, and, 
you know, I I just wrote on my Substack blog that we we don't have networks of trust anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, you used to either the church or the community center or or what have you would would be kind of a framework for our networks of trust and we you know, we don't even have that and so this sort of business as usual um deprives us from cultivating networks of trust and and th- th- this i find is is a theological issue right it's an ethical issue uh there's a moral crisis in this country and, and part of it is is we don't know how to be in relationship with people that is a theological issue, I think. And, and so I just, I, you know, I find myself time and time again being so frustrated that, you know, what we want is like a Democrat in office, not, not a Republican. But we are, not, we are not asking the right questions of our cultural body, which I think get to like this, this practices of being in relationship. Mm-hmm. and building of these networks of trust. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It it absolutely does. Because mm-hmm. all I can think about are our, our boys, right? So Sarah's boy is 10? 10. 10. 10. Mm-hmm. Mine is 9. They both have autism in very different ways. All I want for them, all I want for my son is a network of trust that I know will be there when he's when I'm gone. Right. So when I'm gone and he's still doing his thing and being amazing, he we have to have that. And and I don't even I don't I don't know. That's very daunting and it feels very like overwhelming to even think about it. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're I feel like I'm very blessed that I have the family that I do. Um, but certainly I'm not looking to church anymore. Right to help with that because of the experience that Sarah and I had at our previous church. I'm not, I'm not looking there as a network of trust anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's because of currently how the church does with disabled folks right. and that community and that particular population. It's just not, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. There's not any, there's not one place I can think of that I either I've seen on social media or TV or just in real life that that highlights or talks about or or even includes any kind of topic for the disabled community, the people who are caregivers, the actual disabled people, people themselves, actually autistic people. It's just mm-hmm. not there. I'm not seeing it at all. And that's really sad. I mean, the fact that our kids are even allowed to move about and be a part of society is a step forward Mm -hmm. because as we've said many times if our kids were born 100 years ago they would be institutionalized Mm -hmm. right so we have made steps but not near where we need to be Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. statistics show that my son with his diagnoses is much more likely to go to prison Mm. than college and that's not because of what he's diagnosed no. with. It's it's the social contract or the right. the networks of trust or the right. the safety nets that just aren't they aren't right. there. Yeah, they right. aren't there. They aren't there. Right. Have they ever been? Did we ever do that? I don't think we ever did that. I don't think. 
You know, I, I think that... Um, Does the Bible say anything about that? Well, you know, there, there, there was, you know, in Acts chapter 2, mm-hmm. the, the sort of um, the, the emergence of some of the first communities that that they there is a line in there that talks about and they held all things in common Mm -hmm. and i don't think that means sameness i think it means that they participated in a relationality of trust in this network of trust but you know the the institutionalization of christianity in things like the church or you know as like the container for Christianity, I think has accelerated what we experience now as, 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 as like, it's actually not the place to go Mm-mm. because it's not only a consolidation of power in the institution, but it, it displaces anyone who doesn't like acquiesce to the status quo or to the norm. Right. I think that's why I keep leaving the church. Um, but it's also why I remain a theologian because I think that, um, you know, where I buy my coffee is a theological issue and, and how I, how I navigate the waters of capitalism is a theological issue. Mm Um, you know, the relationships that I have with people, is not just, you know, friendship is not just an act, a political act of solidarity, but it is a theological issue, right? It's about how do we, how do we hold compassion with one another, right? Compassion is derived from this Latin word meaning suffering with, right? How do we actually um, suffer with one another to build the kind of world that we long to inhabit so that your boys have the access, right? I, I think in many respects, that's what the Activist Theology Project is trying to do and, and doing it in this like non-institutional way um, that takes collaboration very seriously and, and trying to sort of um, re-politicize theology and ethics um, because there has been a depolitization of Christianity in things like, well, just be spiritual or let's just make meaning and and let's not interrogate our inherited beliefs that have accelerated the decline mm-hmm. of networks of trust, right? And so we're, we're trying to do some generative work um, so that in 20 years, maybe your boys have access to a network of trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I've raised my hands up like this when you were talking because you mentioned (sighs) sorry my my oldest texted me as as you were also saying something but you talked about this idea that it's depoliticized and I I just I thought like yeah because what did they say when whoever's elected well it doesn't matter who's elected God's in charge right right well that's not true yeah that is not true and people say, well, I don't have time to be political. Well, everything is political. Right. Like every decision that you make, it's or everything that's kind of incorporated in, in life. Like you said, where you buy your coffee. That's yeah. theological. And then there's a political side right. to it as well. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. Okay. Yep. 
we apologize. Real life is happening in the background <laughs> with two large dogs. I love it. My best friend Ivy just had to come say hi. Real come quick. say hi. And my youngest. Well, I just want to say that when I was in seminary um, a long time ago in Chicago, my advisor, Dr. Nancy Bedford, who I still consider my teacher, she had a child's table in her office because for her to do theology meant that children were always welcome. Mm-hmm. And 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 so when thing when like babies cry or like dogs come and and walk around and maybe we can hear that in the background, you know, we, I mean, I'm not the kind of person that says you should edit that out because right. This is about participating in life yes. with one another. Right. Yep. And, and for me being a theologian ethicist is about having a deep posture of welcome for life and for what happens in life. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and how, and how life sometimes erupts in like dogs barking or babies crying or, you know, children needing a snack, you know? And so I just want to say like um, people who want a more sanitized version of life. Um, I find them much less interesting. Oh, that's so awesome. Okay. Thank I you. feel attacked. I know. <laughs> I'm the one always like, we should cut that out. Yeah. Well, what would okay. Brene Brown do? That would, that would, what would Brene Brown do? <laughs> I don't think she'd have the dogs running around in the background. No. Do you have animals, Dr. Robin? Yeah, we, we have two cats, Frida and Diego, and that was on purpose. <laughs> I love it so much. I love that. Are they, do they get in trouble or do they get crazy when you're? Oh, yeah. They, they get the zoomies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and especially after they poop, they get the zoomies (laughs) and, um, and they wrestle with each other and Diego's a fucking nightmare. Um, she's only five months old. We adopted her, we adopted her when she was five weeks old and, um, she was uh, a homeless cat and we work, we work a lot with the under home population here in, in Nashville. And, um, I adopted Frida a couple years ago from Safe Paws, which is connected to the Open Table Nashville, which works with the underhome folks. And so um, I had just reached out to um, Safe Paws and said, we're looking for a black cat to go with Frida, who is a gray cat. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was very specific. I wanted a black cat. And um, I was very fixated on having a black cat. And, and then Lori, who runs Safe Paws, she texted and she was like, uh, we found um, a set of kittens. Their mama abandoned them. They, they were found in the engine block of a truck um, in, mid, in mid-September. And um, we don't know if they're a boy or a girl, but it, they're black. Do you, do you want them? Aww. And we said yes. And we already had the name picked out and she's a female. Um, and so, you know, she gender bends like me. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. I, uh, I saved a cat this week. You did? Okay. So I have been begging for another cat for weeks and mm-hmm. my husband's like, no. So I have the cutest little orange cat named Winston. <sighs> so uh, the love I have for this cat. 
Um, so I've been looking for like an orange kitten so he can have a friend because um, he doesn't like me and I want something to, to love me. I just, I just need love in my life. And I was driving down like the main road to get to work, like a busy street. And I see an orange cat in the middle of the road, like in the middle of the lane. And oh I was like, gosh. you know, do a little U-turn real quick. And I like this cat was like just sitting there. And he was going to get hit. And he was bleeding. Like, his face was bleeding. And so I, like, picked him up. And I'm, like, standing in the middle of the road. And this truck stops. And he's like, Nala? And I'm like, no, I'm Sarah. And he was like, no, is that cat named Nala? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't ask him. And he's like, no, I thought that was my cat. It's not. And I was like, okay, what do I do? And he's like, you need to shoot it. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Why? Wow. (laughs) And so I took him to the vet. And I was like, hey, I found a cat. I don't know what to do with it. It's bleeding. Here you go. Aww. And they're like, do you want us to call you and let you know how how he's doing? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like thinking like they're going to have to put him down. Aww. Like he got yeah. hit, like something bad happened. And I called a couple hours later, check in on him. And they're like, no, his canine tooth went through his tongue. <gasps> and that's why his face was bleeding. They're like, he didn't get hit. Like he's totally fine. We fixed Aww. his mouth up. He's good. And they're like, do you want to take him home? And I was like, do, 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 do. let me call my husband and i was like hey matt i found a cat he's like nope and i was like oh, i just wanted and i tried i was like Aww. it's literally the burning bush of cats it was in the middle of the road <laughs> bright orange you could have named him moses oh, i could have <laughs> i was ready i'm sorry you didn't get your cat but really he was a year old and he was a barn cat and the vet was like it's gonna be hard to socialize him and get him like he's that a wild cat sense. yeah so they, they rehomed him, I guess. Yes. Okay. That's what I'm telling myself. Well, life has exploded and now it's quieted again. And I have, there are two, there are like two burning things I need to get. Sorry, we're talking to, about cats the rest of the time. Okay. But, but there are two burning things I need to get to because I do want to be respectful of your time, Dr. Robin, because we've already been talking for a little while, even though it doesn't feel like that, because I'm having so much fun talking to you. Yeah, at the kitchen table. I know. That's the best. That's the best place to do theology at the kitchen table. I agree. I Besides agree. the kids' table. Can yeah. Can we talk for a minute? You You mentioned this earlier about being an autistic adult, and you said, because um, I remember kind of like I followed your story with this since I was yeah. kind of insta stalking you before we got to talk to each other like this. Yeah. And we had kind of DM'd each other, but tell us, tell us about that process. Talk about that for a minute of kind of coming to that realization. So years ago, when, when I was in my PhD program and partnered, married um, to a different person than I am now, though we're not married, we're just partnered, but it feels like we're married. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, my former partner, work did clinical research with um kids with autism Hmm. and and you know at the time i didn't know a lot about autism and and so i actually just googled it and and read a little bit about it and read about some of the symptoms i i I don't like to call them symptoms but just some of the characteristics of Mm -hmm. people who live on the spectrum and 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 they all kind of resonated with me like huh, that sounds like me. And so I, I asked my partner, I'm like, so I, I was doing some reading and, and this, th- these things feel true to me. And, and she said to me, 
I, and I quote, you're too smart to have autism. Ugh. <sighs> and, you can't have um, autism. You make eye contact. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. And, um, and so I just sort of like forgot about it. Right. And sort of went on. And, and then I was in Cuba several years ago with, um, a comrade and, um, I historically have missed social cues um, and, you know, don't always know what to do sometimes. And I missed all the social cues in Cuba. And and it's not that I don't understand Latin America because I spent my summers in Mexico and I understand, I, I mean, I'm bicultural, right? I, I, I understand those things, but um, I missed all the social cues. Mm-hmm. And, and so my comrade got really upset with me um, and she said to me in the car, she was like, you might want to look up how people with autism negotiate social space. And I actually, it offended me, mm-hmm. um, because I was like, you know, what are you saying? I have autism and, and she needed some time after that trip. I, you know, I needed some time and, and then in 2019, I started dating my current partner, and um, we we moved to this new apartment in in Nashville. And um, I think one of the first times where I think Aaron, which is my partner's name, um, began piecing together some of some of this living on the spectrum was when we were packing up our old place um, to move that um, I I had a complete meltdown as we started disassembling the house. Mm. Um, I was paralyzed. I could not do anything. And um, the, the best that I could do on moving day was sit in my office chair and manage the gate opener for the movers to come in and out of the apartment complex. Mm -hmm. And so basically my partner did the whole move. We had movers, of course. And then Aaron ended up unpacking everything because it it was so overwhelming to see boxes everywhere. I couldn't, I couldn't discern a process. I couldn't figure out how to, what to do first, you know, I, again, paralyzed. Right. Right. That was in April. And then I want to say in May or June, we had a relationship talk. Y'all, y'all still have those being married people. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've been with my re- husband longer than I've been alive. I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so we had a relationship talk and, and my partner, Aaron is a two on the Enneagram and is an empath. And, um, and I'm a five and um, tend to live life very compartmentalized and am an intellectual. And so I sort of think all the time. And what this means is in our relationship, sometimes I'm not attuned to her. Mm-hmm. And so we were having this conversation about, Robin, are there ways that you could be more attuned in our relationship? And I was like, well, gosh, I, you know, I was really thinking about this. I'm like, well, I ask you what you need. And I, I ask you, um, can I get you anything? Like, I feel like I'm practicing attunement. And, um, and, and so we had that conversation and, and I said, yes, I, I will commit to doing better not knowing what I was going to do, but I was going to committing to. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm committing to it. (laughs) And a couple days later, 
we were driving to pick up my car because my um my Toyota Prius had a recall and so I had to go pick it up after it after it had been fixed and I had said to Aaron I said you know I've been thinking about the conversation that we're having about attunement and and I reminded her about what my comrade said in Cuba and and I said you know like I wonder if I'm on the spectrum and she had already like had that thought and had already been reading about it because, you know, she was really trying to figure out how do we have a successful relationship? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, Aaron said that that's really curious. What do you think about that? And, and I'm like, wow, I mean, I think I need to look into it. And I told her about what happened to my former, uh, in my former relationship that I was too smart to be on the spectrum. And so I picked up my car and um, Aaron's mom was coming down and to stay with us for, for a bit last September. And um, so I was going to go pick up some white wine for Margot. And so I pulled up to um, the liquor store that, that we use. And I just very quickly Googled adults on the autism spectrum, because I was like, let me just like read this and see if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there was maybe like 20 or 25 characteristics and, you know, almost all of them resonated with me. I thought, Oh, okay. So I like, I, I took a screenshot and I texted to Aaron. I was like, Hey, I just read this. Uh, th- this feels resonant with me and, um, you know, can't wait to talk more. And, um, you know, I got the wine, I came home and, um, that night as Aaron was cooking, I ended up reaching out to, um, two of my friends. One is Mike McCarg, Science Mike, mm-hmm. who, um, is a dear friend of mine who, um, you know, just recently found out several years ago that he lives on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I reached out to him and I said, Hey, I, th- I think this is true for me. Um, what do I do? And he was like, huh, I always thought you were on the spectrum because I tend to get along with people who are neurodivergent. Uh, <laughs> but this was my process. And so um, I took these two self-assessments, which they both scored as being in the range of being on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And um, the other person I had reached out to was my dear friend, Hillary McBride, Dr. Hillary McBride, mm-hmm. um, who is based in Canada. She's a therapist. She works with people with autism, is very compassionate. I reached out to her to say, hey, I think this is true for me. Do you know Do you know anybody who is trans positive, queer positive in the States who could help me? Mm-hmm. Later, that, later that night, she got back to me with a name of someone here um, in Nashville. Um, and I, I reached out to this person I did a whole bunch of assessments with this person. Hmm. We had some, we had some therapy um, to like um, talk about the results of the assessment. Aaron joined me for that. And, you know, um, this, this therapist, Dr. Michelle McAnty, who I just, she's just very kind to me. Um, She said, you know, um, you, you live with what, um, was once called Asperger's, mm-hmm. um, but but you know we now we talk about it being more on the spectrum, mm-hmm. and so 
that all sort of happened last fall. And, and I decided to use um, October the 11th, which is National Coming Out Day, to actually not just come out as a trans and queer person, but actually to like, like name this thing that has so much stigma attached to it. Um, because I'm really committed to building a better world for all of us, not mm -hmm. just the few of us who have access. And so that's been a little bit about my journey. And um, I write I write about it a little bit in, in the next book that is due very soon. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about my story. I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm struck by listening to your story. I'm struck by your kind of persistence in terms of like, once you became okay with it, then reaching out and getting the information that you needed to make it make sense to you. Yeah. Um, and the fact, like you said, that you had access to be able to do that was important. And I, mm -hmm. I kind of wish that we had that for everybody. Yeah. Especially adults, because I'm sure there are many adults out there who yeah. might feel like they're experiencing some of the criteria for autism, but don't know or don't feel comfortable or don't feel like, hey, this is what I could do to go check this out. Or mm -hmm. or you think that you have to have someone else bring it up to you. You're not allowed to bring right. it up. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I do. I do have a challenging question. Am I allowed to ask? Oh, yeah. That? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I'll have an answer, but yeah, you can ask. I'm, I'm just interested. Um, you said that when your friend from Cuba, uh, when you were in Cuba, um, mentioned something that you were offended. Can you mm -hmm. talk more about why that was and how you kind of turn that to the headspace that you're in now? Well, m my being offended was a feeling like I didn't know how to be in society. That, that the sort of assumption was people with autism don't know how to be in society. And so I was just offended that that um, people with autism need to like Google how to be in society. Well, fuck that, right? Like we have all created systems that have historically excluded people who are non-neuronormative. And, I, you know, I just, I don't know. I just have... Um, I mean, I have all sorts of problems with normative thinking. And so that was my offense mm -hmm. um, at, at what they had said to me, um, that that regardless of whether or not I live with autism at that time, obviously it was showing up in Cuba, mm -hmm. um, but whether or not that was true for me, what I, what I felt so impassioned about was that the internet can provide some sort of framework to know how to navigate society mm -hmm. when, when in fact um, those rules and scripts are, are only designed for the dominant culture. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yes. so, you know, like yes. this white male able-bodied people mm -hmm. um, and excludes everybody else. And so that, that was my offense. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad I asked um, and got clarification because I, I thought that you meant the actual like possibility of being autistic was offensive. So I'm glad that I I got clarification on that. Mm -hmm. And that makes complete sense what you're saying about the idea that you can just Google it and, you know, if you're autistic, Google it and learn how to be normal. 
quote unquote normal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That makes complete sense. And I love what you say because, you know, who, who decided that the way to be social is to make direct eye contact and ask these questions. Who decided that? Right. I can tell you. No, I mean, I really can't. I mean, I don't know exactly. <laughs> I mean, I can guess. But I can tell you that in Hi, terms of the people that make all the rules. Right. In terms of um, when we talk about the DSM, mm. since right. this is my kind of area. Right. Right. Um, when we talk about the DSM, obviously white men, doctors, all, learned doctors all got in a room and yeah. sat down and were like, oh, well, I have 100 clients and they do X, Y, Z. And the other white guy said, yeah, I have 100 clients and they do X, Y, Z. And then they were like, well, let's come up with a name for it. And they did. And so basically because a couple of, well, more than a couple, and it's more than a couple now, but basically because they all sat down and said, this is what bipolar looks like. Mm. This is what schizophrenia looks like. This is what depression looks like. Because they sat down and said that, then that's how we come to say, oh, because you do xyz you have depression mm-hmm. you have bipolar so do literally do that yeah literally oh. we are all sane by mutual consent oh. so because the white guys who sat in the table and i think there's women now in there too but because they all sat down and were like yeah this is what it means to be sane we all fit that criteria we are right. sane by mutual consent Wow, huh? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk anymore. Okay, <laughs> I yeah, went off this ride. I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, um, I would suggest um, if you want to look more into that, reading a book. I think it's Crazy Like Us, and mm. it talks about pharmaceutical and um, how the some of the DSM criteria came to be and things like that. So yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. And I mean, consider consider and this will kind of speak to autism consider that just a few years ago we went from the dsm-4 to the Mm dsm-5 and within that kind of fraction of a space i know because it all happened when i was doing graduate school and then moved through it and then like graduated um they went from saying like autism looks like this to autism looks like this Right. And for people at home, it's my hands are smaller and then bigger. And that Asperger's doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. They decided to not name it after a Nazi that killed disabled people. Well, that's we're going to get to that, folks. I've been doing my research. Uh-oh. I'll, I'll I got a lot to say. Right. <laughs> you know, what's so ironic about that, though, mm. is that. That diet, you know, the list of criteria mm-hmm. is so rigid. Mm hmm. Yep. But yet autistic people are the rigid ones. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that can't, you know, everything's black and white, quote unquote. Yeah. Yet if you don't, and literally we have been told your son cannot be autistic because he makes eye contact because it says here, it's one of the criteria. So if Mm -hmm. he doesn't meet it, he can't be autistic. Well, Mm -hmm. guess what? He is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (sighs) I love the DSM. (laughs) lots to think about yes lots to think about okay one last thing yeah um do you think we can teach people to be curious do you think that's like a, a muscle we can all build within ourselves i mean i hope so i think 
I think, um, you know, imagination is the best thing we have on our side and our failure to thrive in, in this country has been a failure to imagine. And so if we can begin to practice imagination by just being curious about one another, I think that we can build that muscle, but you know, it's going to take things like intimacy, transparency, and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's that do people that. don't know or that people don't care? I think it's both. Mm-hmm. I think that we have to teach empathy because we don't live in a society that that supports empathy in any way. You know, just mm-hmm. look at our look at the justice system. You know, and and mass incarceration mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. okay well so that's what we're the three of us are going to do we'll get together and um we'll just do our side hustle of teaching people how to Where be curious did you need the con- convention now is that okay oh yes <laughs> i we, love it can we do that <laughs> yeah okay. yeah just, we decided could you imagine yeah. if i was in charge of anything <laughs> barely in charge of myself maybe you should be because then maybe we can accelerate some of this work Mm -hmm. i'm just saying maybe all right i'm so sorry okay so sorry and and let's just say i'm a big believer in um conversations on the front porch and shared meals so yes whenever y'all are in nashville let me know and you should have never said that we will be on the next bus out i don't (laughs) i'm not driving tarot drive us when when the pandemic is over we are doing a national tour we're stopping in um indiana to see or illinois to see molly Mm -hmm. we can come to tennessee to see wisconsin to see sean Uh and then we'll head out to la Uh to see rob and liza's in denver yep and Go Sue see her and Dan are in Hawaii. So we're you're we'll add you to the list. Great. All booked Great. up. Okay. Great. Great. All right. This all was right. fun, y'all. It was fun. I, all of your words I know are so um amazing and you're you, holding your head like it hurts. Did, no, I'm did holding I hurt it your brain. I'm holding it in awe. Oh, okay. Um literally when Tara sent me the outline, I was like, I'm not smart enough for this conversation. Um <laughs> don't know what to do but you explain things in such a way that it's very thought-provoking um and also very um like hopeful and you want to know more now and i want to know more Mm -hmm. and i want to read your book and i want to listen to your podcast and i want to come hang out on your front porch Mm -hmm. yeah well i'm i'm very fun when i'm not anxious I'm a, I'm a big believer in the politics of hanging out. I think actually we can transform our world if we hang out more with one another. Yeah, it's a lot harder to hate someone when you're looking them in the face. Well, that's what I say about uh, talking with conservative evangelicals. It's hard to hate people over a good roasted chicken with greens. Mm-hmm. Sounds so good. Mm. I love it. Okay, well, we will come see you soon. You can come back and talk to us anytime. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be here. And, you know, blessings on the work that y'all are doing. I think that it's not just important for people who are living um, on the spectrum, but also people who are in relationship with those people, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, so thank you for the work that y'all are doing. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you. Do you want to tell us uh, just real quick how you are um, 
taking no shit, only vitamins, which is what we do. A good <laughs> thing. Yeah. A it's good just thing something that's good that's going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, my partner does feed me all the vitamins because I was so anxious in December, right? <laughs> so like I'm taking echinacea and vitamin D and B stress complex and, you know, all the things. Yeah. Um, uh, so I am, I am taking vitamins. Good. That's yeah. awesome. Um, it's re- it actually uh, is really helpful. It is. Yeah. And, um, and I try to live my life um, in this way. Uh, do no harm. Take no shit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's going to be my tombstone. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Robin, thank you again. Thank y'all. You're, and, the, you're the best. Please, and as, please be my friend. As always. <laughs> as this is always, how I make friends. Is it? Through uh-huh. the podcast? Okay. Yep. As always. Are you, we, are you a bourbon drinker? You know, I don't drink because I'm afraid I'll like it too much. Oh, okay. I come from a long line of addicts, so it's just something that I don't do. But uh, I, I love me some Coke. Coca-Cola. I can't afford cocaine. <laughs> um, another thing that I'm afraid that I'll like too much. What about Topo Chico? Oh, I don't yes. know. I don't know what that is. Yes. What yeah. is it? it? Craig Keith it's, is telling me I'll like it. It's it's sparkling mineral water from Mexico. Oh, so oh my gosh! Mexican Coke is so good. <laughs> right? It yeah. is my. Fa- it tastes so different. Yeah, I well, it's love it so much. It's because it has real cane sugar. Yeah. In it. Instead of like yeah. chemicals. Right. <gasps> Yeah. Okay, listen. And in fact, and in fact, when I cook my carnitas, I cook it in Mexican Coke. Okay. Oh, oh so we're God. we're going to Tennessee. We we're bringing. Listen, Chico, we're going to Tennessee first. Bourbon, Mexican Coke. Molly, you can wait. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Molly, you replaced Molly currently. <laughs> oh, that sounds so amazing. All right. Well, we're gonna go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> It's good to be with y'all. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Robin. Come on anytime. Where can can people find you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where can people find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at irobin. That's the letter I-R-O-B-Y-N. And um, I'm at The Cap on Facebook Friends, but I do have a public page, and that public page is... Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And show up on Tuesdays for office hours. What time are the office yeah. hours? What time or is it all day? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't have time for that. Okay. <laughs> um, office hours is 2 p.m. Central. Okay. Show on on, is- on Instagram Live. And they're really good, too. Awesome. So. I can't wait. All right. Thanks, Dr. Robin. Yeah, thanks, y'all. Talk to you soon. Okay. Right. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>